Let's go political, political, Absolutely, we always take something away from every meeting we have. We are now joined by John Moore and Dr. Phil Ferguson for the Politics Roundup for this week. How are you, boys? Pretty good. Yep. Good, thanks. Pretty yep. good. Yeah, it's pretty dreary weather out there today, but... It is. It's Dunedin for you. It's Dunedin for you. Um, today we're going to be talking a wee bit more holistically about the last six months of our brand new government. Mm. Um, I'm going to just go straight into it. Has the government lived up? to its own self-promotion as being a transformative regime, do you guys reckon? Yeah, so that's a big question. It's and a big there, question. Yeah, there's been a number of articles in the mainstream media and blogs looking over the six months of yeah. this government. And I think, to be fair, we need to judge this government on the basis of its claim that it would be a transformative government, that it would be a government that was, in effect, going to enact radical change. Um, so Jacinda Ardern, when she, um, in November, way back in November, she promised that this government would be one of transformation um, and uh, recently just in Berlin um, she said that this government wasn't just about being a transition to a more younger generation so a generation shift but uh, a transition to a new era mm. say looking towards the uh, 2020s where technology and a whole lot of other social factors are going to really transform the world so mm-hmm. th- this government is saying it's going to tackle those big issues um, and I think if we look at their rhetoric and we look at their promises and policies, we would have to say this is a government that is uh, leading ahead, uh, is, is is raising expectations. So if we look back at the last election, um, Jacinda Ardern said that her main policy goal was to eliminate child poverty, mm-hmm. uh, to deal with those issues of inequality, of unaffordable housing, to make uh, the climate change issue the issue of uh, this part of the century. Yeah. And she wanted to be a leader, a world leader on that issue. Now, if we actually look at the, the policies that they've enacted so far, uh, and 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 the and the I guess the the new rhetoric that's coming out of this government, it seems to be all about lowering expectations. Mm. So, if we look at Grant Robertson, the Minister of Finance, he he keeps talking about that there is a there's a crisis due to the last government's underspending in yeah. areas such as health and housing and uh, public infrastructure. But then again, he, he he was saying this before the election. Um, but and also the, this whole talk of the government being restrained by its fiscal responsibility rules. Now these are self-imposed rules. Yeah. These are not rules that it has to adhere to. But the government is saying it doesn't want to put up taxes, either corporate taxes or top-level taxes. Uh, it doesn't want to um, increase expenditure uh, beyond uh, what are seen as fiscally responsible levels. And it wants to pay off debt. It doesn't want to lend money. Mm. And it's and it's using, um, it seems to be using these fiscal responsibility rules to say, well, okay, we've got these big visions, but we just don't have the money to deliver at the moment. Yeah. So in terms of being a transformative government, uh, yes, on rhetoric and on har- uh, on increasing expectations, uh, the government seems to be doing a good job. But in terms of on-the-ground policy, mm. I think it's very questionable, or um, it just can't be said that this is a transformative government at the moment. Yeah, it seems like they're backtracking a lot and fixing a lot of the past mistakes instead yes. of transforming into something new. It's kind of like fixing all the old government's yes. issues and they're not moving forward at mm. the moment. It's early days, though, still. But 
fixing those problems within the limits of what's seen as acceptable and orthodox uh, for a, a modern government to to spend and mm-hmm. to tax, etc., in, in, in terms of debt levels. So it's operating within a, a very conservative perimeter in terms of economic policies, but offering very bold visions of what it wants to do. Yeah. And the two seem to contradict each other. Mm. Yeah, and sorry, sorry, yeah. Phil, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it can be a transformative government without changing in probably a fairly fundamental way the socio-economic structure of the country and they don't want to do that and so you had you know, with the last um, Labour government in which Michael Cullen was the finance minister year after year surpluses and yet they never raised social welfare benefits. It was actually you know, the so-called Tory demon, John Key, who raised social welfare benefits. Well, how are you going to change inequality? How are you going to get rid of child poverty when a lot of the poorest people are on social welfare benefits? Mm. You'd have to raise social welfare benefits, and that's going to require you know, a, whole, a whole heap of money. Um, you're going to have to raise wages significantly, and if business kicks up a fuss the likelihood is that the government will back off so it's it's you know it's <laughs> promises are cheap but delivering requires them to do more than just be kind of capitalist managers and mm. yet that's what they do you know labor and national alike that's the role that they play Although the ironic thing is that I think um, in terms of uh, the corporate sector, the business sector, uh, there there is uh, a desire for some increases in government spending Mm -hmm. and for breaking out of uh, sort of orthodox economic perimeters. So Matthew Hutton, the political commentator Matthew Hutton, who I I think can be seen as sort of like an intellectual voice for business interests and right-wing interests, he said that he thinks this government is crazy sticking within those conservative fiscal responsibility rules and Mm. it should actually be prepared to borrow money when interest rates are at an all-time low yeah. globally mm. so the government could easily borrow money to invest in infrastructure and his argument is that yes business interests and corporate interests would be concerned if, if Labour started changing a whole lot of industrial legislation in favour of unions for example mm. and pushing up uh, the minimum wage to levels that uh, corporate interests wouldn't be happy with but in terms of investment in education and health and infrastructure his feelings is that this government is actually more conservative and more hesitant than than the, the more sort of right wing corporate sector is ironically uh, yeah um, yeah yeah and i mean <coughs> you know we're kind of bagging so far but what do you reckon the government has done well so far in this past six months um well it has delivered to some degree on on uh, <coughs> policies that will lead to less inequality so it's um uh, there's been an extension for paid parental leave for mm-hmm. example uh the families package uh will certainly put more money in lower income and medium income uh families uh household budgets, uh, lower w- winter power bills for the elderly. Yeah. Um, so th- there have been policies that will uh, deal with some of these issues, not in a transformative way, but in a way that will put uh, dollars in people's pockets. Yeah, yeah. And how do you reckon the two minor government parties are going at the moment, Greens and NZ First? Um, what I find really interesting uh, is that unlike previous um, minor partners to coalition governments, such as the Māori Party with National or the Alliance and the Greens with previous Labour governments, the 
New Zealand First and the Greens in this case are actually pushing themselves in quite an independent way and, and uh, are prepared to actually stand opposed to sort of general government policy. Mm. So um, we've seen that with Shane Jones. Yeah. Um, so Shane Jones is a uh, State Services Minister um, in Cabinet. Uh, so he's formally part of the coalition government. But as a New Zealand First MP, he's been quite critical of the state sector and saying, basically implying that the government should have more of an interventionist role and more yeah. of a hands-on role within the state sector to the point of even directly uh, appointing, appointing heads of uh, government services, which at the moment is is, uh, is done outside the perimeters of the government, is yeah. done by the uh, state service commissioner. So this is quite a, a break with government orthodoxy over the last few decades, uh, arguably quite a sort of radical stance on his part, which is accept has upset both um, uh, elements within the state sector service as mm. well as uh, um, the PSA, uh, the the union for most state sector workers. Uh, um, so, it, yeah, it's interesting that he's pushing quite an independent line on that, quite an unorthodox line. And I don't know if the government will necessarily labour for itself or would be completely unhappy with that because they want... Um, they want both New Zealand, I would argue, they want New Zealand First and the Greens uh, to be seen as independent players and, and to not collapse in the polls mm. because then Labour won't have any viable uh, coalition partners for a future government. Yeah. So I think this government's very different to, say, the previous um, Helen Clark government, which uh, was very intolerant to her junior partners pushing an independent line. Mm. I think this government, yeah, is, is, is allowing a lot more room for both the Greens and New Zealand First. And again with the Greens, I think with the election of Mara Maya Davison mm. as um, co-leader. Yeah, and talked it, to her on the show yesterday as well. Yeah, so yeah, I'll have to listen to the podcast yeah, today because yeah. she seems to be pushing a more um, relatively radical left line mm -hmm. and differentiating herself from the government saying that she will uh, hold the government to account if it doesn't... Uh, uh, bring in real change in regards to issues such as inequality and, yeah. and climate change. So again, I think um, elements in the media are saying this is a, a negative for the government and that those junior coalition partners are pushing themselves independently, but I think it's a real plus. Yeah, yeah. And I think both of them are aware that when governments go out of power, it's the junior partners that suffer the most and they want to keep their voter base happy. They want to make sure that both of them get over 5% next time around. Mm -hmm. And since, I mean, I thought that Winston Peters would hang on to Northland, actually, but since he lost Northland, quite possibly neither of them are going to win an, an electorate seat, so it's very important for them to get over 5%. Mm. And if they're just seen as going along with Labour as part of the government, then they're going to... You know, dissatisfy a chunk of their electoral base, and I think New Zealand First is particularly vulnerable. I think the Greens have a brand that is, you know, it's it's a long, it's a brand with a long life, and yeah. so I don't think they're in as much danger as New Zealand First. You know, but they are they are the people that soak up a lot of discontent with Labour on the kind of progressive side. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, th you know, them and New Zealand First want to be seen as having some kind of independent stance, and I think it was quite smart of the Greens to stay outside government. Yeah. So they're not going to be tarnished in the way that they would be. 
if Labor does some things that are very unpopular with the mass of, of people, and in particular with the mass of the kind of people that vote Green. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh. Um, and from this past six months, are we thinking that this is primarily a government of working groups and reviews or a government of action? Well, it seems to be uh, a government of working groups and reviews so far. I, I believe that this government's enacted more working groups than during the whole previous uh, national uh, three terms. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, if working groups lead to radical involved proposals, uh, then you could say, OK, this is a first step towards a transformative government. And some media commenters are saying, OK, this first three years might be more of a conservative regime, but it will enact those more bold, transformative politics um, in its second term, if it gets yeah. elected. However, if, if we look at a, a number of the working groups, and speci especially the tax working groups, the fact that it's um, led by Michael Cullen, mm. uh, who's seen as a, a, a relatively conservative uh, uh, person, uh, sort of a, a third-way type politician, um, and who acted um, when he was Minister of Finance under the Helen Clark government, was a very very cautious Minister of Finance mm. um, when, when there were big services. He certainly didn't splash out on social services. Uh, that government, um, in, in terms of bot bottom decile of the um, population, didn't really raise that, that group up economically at all. Quite the opposite. So, yeah, all the signs are, are there that this tax working group will, will deliver quite uh, conservative recommendations, not transformative recommendations. I might be proved wrong, yeah. but all the commentators seem to be saying that. Yeah, and to head towards our Prime Minister for a second, uh, is Jacinda Mania still a thing in New Zealand, do you guys reckon? I, I, I think it is. I was stuttering there because I'm trying to, th I'm trying to think whether it is, is or not. I think it's, I think it still is, and I think the, you know, the the pregnancy and then when she has the baby, it's going to be all over the, the so-called women's magazines and all over the general media, and mm. there's going to be a lot of gushing. But I think over time it is starting to wear a bit thin. I mean, six months, I guess you could say, well, it's still early on, but the more time goes on and the less that is delivered, and we've already seen a certain amount of backpedalling um, in terms of industrial legislation, you know, this and that was going to be gone and they're not they're not gone and there's going to be a review of it instead, which could put off you know, um, changes to industrial law for a long time. Mm. And we've got, like, with the tax review. I mean, you've got people like you know, some of the richest people in the country, like the Morgans, Gareth Morgan, and oh, what's his son's name, who had trade me. I can't oh, Sam, is it Sam? Sam, Sam. yeah. I mean, there's, you know, they've been saying much more kind of traditionally Labour things than what the Labour Party has. Yeah. Where they're pointing out that people are just dealing with income and talking about playing around with income tax, but the real inequality is actually wealth, and that there are people like them who don't actually have big incomes each year, but they have wealth, you know, mm. they have really serious wealth. And we have this sort of superficial political culture in New Zealand that talks that is mesmerised by income, and, and, and wealth is left, you know, untouched. And her and... Um, and Grant Robertson are not going to change that. So I think the shine is starting to wear off, but she's a v she's very shrewd, I'll give her that. Mm. And so all this stuff in Europe, you know, has been great publicity for her, but 
there's not a lot of substance to it, really. Yeah, yeah. And there was a really interesting article in the NZ Herald the other day um, which compared Jacinda to Donald Trump. Is this an absurd statement? Um on a certain level it is. I mean, uh, Jacinda Ardern is certainly a social liberal uh, leaning to the left. Um, uh, Donald Trump, regardless of what he said in the past, is, is very much projecting himself as a conservative, if not a reactionary on social mm. issues such as transgender people in the military, immigration, etc. But in one, in one regards, there is the a valid comparison can be made, and that's in, in relation to the issue of immigration, that, um, that Labour um, has been at the fore at, at promoting slashes of immigration. Um, and we certainly saw that in the last election, where it was talking about slashing immigration by tens of thousands, uh, and, and, and further back, where um, Labour deliberately targeted the Chinese community yeah. uh, and overseas Chinese in regards to blaming uh Chinese investors for uh, problems with the housing market. Um, so I think a comparison can be made. However, um, at the moment, um, unlike with Donald Trump, this, this government isn't pushing the immigration issue, and I think it's actually stepping back from the type of numbers it was talking about slashing. I think also this government is far more adept at, at managing being the government than what Donald Trump is. I mean, his presidency has just been one disaster after another. Although he's polling very well. Is he? Yep, absolutely. Because yeah. I, I see that, you know, like some quite intelligent um, publications in the United States have talked about we're seeing the last days of, of, the, of the Trump presidency and... You know the turnover in in cabinet ministers, and now the investigations that are going on. And you know he's alienated the FBI. He's alienated the Republican Party grandees. He's alienated much of the economic establishment in the in the United States. Whereas you know Jacinda and Grant Robertson and and the the managers. In the Labour Party, have, have you know done a much better job in terms of presenting this government as being a functioning together. Well, um, I'd say the opposite is the case. I think yeah. uh, that the conservativeness of, of the Ardern government that it, it doesn't want to ruffle feathers mm. with the with the economic elite and with say with uh, uh, bureaucracies within say the state sector service really points to it. That it's, it it seems that it's out of sync with the new radical zeitgeist. And although all the um, well-established and respected um, media commentators in America are saying that we're in the last days of the Trump administration. None of them predicted that he would become president. Yeah. They seem completely out of sync with how large sectors of the public were feeling. And remember, large sectors of the public in America, they hate the economic elite. They hate the government bureaucracy. They despise the FBI and, and all, all these state institutions. And um, conservative media commenters say, oh, we can't ruffle feathers, this is going to be a real negative for Trump. Well, I'd say that quite possibly the opposite might be the case, that he, he realises that there is this new radical zeitgeist where people are deeply unhappy with mainstream institutions, and this Labour government here, although it, it used some of that sort of radical new zeitgeist uh, rhetoric before it was elected and really did raise expectations of what a government could do. Yeah. Um, once it's got into power, it seems to have been very cautious and making up lots of excuses of why it can't enact transformative change with Trump. 
Um, and of course he's a reactionary and lo- lots of us would find him very distasteful. He's actually lived up to a lot of his promises. Yeah, that's true, that's and he, true. And he, yeah. has, he has really transformed elements of economic policy, especially in relation to um, trade and uh, imposing um, uh, sanctions and barriers to, say, uh, Chinese goods coming into the country. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that um, possibly uh, Trump is on the right track, um, despite what the media is saying. But remember... Lots of people in the West now utterly despise the media, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. so, uh, and, and this was a media that uh, got it wrong about um, Brexit, got it wrong about Trump. So, um, yeah, I think uh, maybe the lesson is that um, Trump, from political view, is on the right track, and this more hesitant government isn't. Mm. But I think I agree with everything that you said about the government in New Zealand, but they have done a good job in managing the lowering of expe- of expectations. Nobody is up in arms at all in relation to them. In re- it dropped from the polls significantly, 5% for Labour. Right. Uh, Jacinda's um, support has dropped from the polls. Yeah, but there's nobody uh, there's nobody out in the streets you know, complaining about them or uh, thinking that it's time for them to go. Uh, I mean, it's still a pretty stable government, whereas Trump is unstable. The thing about Trump's base of support in the United States is that... <coughs> If the establishment gets rid of Trump or decides that Trump is a lame duck, it doesn't matter whether Trump's got 35% support or 40%. You know, Nixon still had a certain amount of support when he was booted out. You know, there's all kinds of mechanisms. If the people that that control the power behind the scenes decide that it's time for Trump to go... It won't matter that that he's still popular. But he They'll can rally. He can rally. Um, arguably, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people on the street. He, he yeah, has that capacity, and, and and there there has been that sort of radical right wing movement bubbling away in America. You know, since the Obama administration. So I think he. Um, I think the establishment in America would be very hesitant to uh, get rid of him in, in a blatant sort of a. Form like of a coup mm. if they knew that the, the reaction could sort of completely destabilise American society. It would be it would be impeachment, and I don't think that it would destabilise American society. I think for the powers that be in the United States, it's a question of weighing up: do they let the, that presidency run its full term, and you know what's it? I mean, it's still got three years or two and a half years to go, do they let it run the full term and then Trump will be gone? Or is he creating such a mess that they need to get rid of him sooner? And if they get rid of him sooner, it wouldn't be through like a coup. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'm talking about a, a political coup. A political yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be like impeachment. Yeah. It would be like what they did with Nixon. And I would say there's plenty of ammunition <laughs> around, <laughs> around, you know, that they could that they could Im- get him impeached on. It's just a question of whether they think, no, we don't want to impeach because it would create, like you say, you know, it would create a, a certain amount of destabilisation. So we let him have his two and a half years of kind of crazy egomania. And then, of course, back Trump's done massive U-turns, you know, the TPPA um, is a you know, really big um, big U-turn. Well, he's not saying he'll sign up to it, he's saying that he's open to looking at it. Yeah, well, he got one of his chief advisors to go and, and, and begin negotiating on it, or to begin putting out feelers on it. Um, and so, you know, something like US rivalry with China 
is going to be much more influential on whether he ends up trying to join it than what he said in the election campaign. Yeah. Um, but I think the comparison with Trump, it's almost like Heather Duplessis Allen said, thought, what can I write that will be the most outrageous? <laughs> and I'll compare, you know, and so you've got an important issue. And as I, you know, I happen to support open immigration, so I'm completely against Labour's immigration policy. Um, and there is that similarity between them and Trump. But in every other way, they're quite different. You know, like Trump was a political outsider who gate crashed <laughs> the Republican Party, mm. basically. Yeah. But he's, a, you know, he's part of the economic elite. He's not an outsider in general in American society, you know, he's not some, you know, a black solo mother from, with one leg from the ghettos or something, you know, he's a socio-economic elite who's a political outsider. Jacinda Ardern comes from outside the socio-economic elite, she's a policeman's daughter from Morrinsville, but she's very much a political insider. Sure. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's a whole other discussion, but maybe yeah. a far-fetched <laughs> comparison to our leader at yeah. the moment. Thank you both, Phil and John, for Cheers. joining me Cheers. while I fill in the big boots of Jamie Green on The Breakfast <laughs> Show for another Friday. I hope you enjoy yeah. your day today, boys. For sure, you Thanks, too. You Thank too. you so much. Thanks.